Hello, hello folks. This is Santosh Shiva. Welcome to another episode of Run Yogi Diaries. In this show, I bring you conversations with people on a journey of fitness and well-being. I hope they spark a new possibility for you, provide some tips, and perhaps some inspiration to perspire. Wishing all of you a very happy, safe, and healthy 2021. Let's hope the pandemic is behind us soon and we can go out and do things that we uh, we like. Today's guest is an amazing woman, Miriam Gilbert. She describes herself as a ordinary ultra runner, like as if there are ordinary ultra runners. She has finished multiple 50 mile ultras, 100 mile ultras, and a host of 24, 48, and 60 hour ultras. Additionally, she's a writer and a book lover. She rescues books from people's trash, lawns, and curbs. Her writing has been published in Women's Running Magazine, Running Competitor, and Ultra Running Magazine. We get to talk about her long career in running, the pivot into ultras, how she manages to come back from life's uh, obstacles, the importance of spirituality and running, and finally her project to support cancer caregivers. Let's begin. Welcome to Run Yogi Diaries, Miriam. Uh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I look forward to our chat. Yes, it's a pleasure having you. You're such an accomplished uh, recreational athlete. You have uh, you you you're a writer, uh, and you're doing some great stuff in terms of using running as uh, for higher causes. So we have a lot of uh, interesting things to talk about and learn from you. So look forward to that. So. Before that, I want to let you do a quick in- introduction uh, of yourself, and then we'll jump in. I live in New Jersey, and um, I'm originally from Connecticut, but I live in New Jersey uh, with my husband, and my children were born in New Jersey. Um, my background is uh, I'm an academic. I taught at universities all my life. I taught uh, college writing. I was the director of a writing center. Uh, and then I went back to school and got uh, another graduate degree in theology. And um, uh, I've been teaching for the last five or six years um, uh, theology and um, uh, world religions. And um, I've been running over 30 years. That's amazing. And the whole combination of what you do at work, which is spirituality and theology, and what you're doing in endurance is just an amazing area i personally am so fascinated by it and uh, we are going to talk about that uh, but before that let's uh, you said you're running for 30 years let's uh, let's get into that right so 30 years is a long time that's uh, that's amazing and so let's hear about that yeah. how did it all start yeah i i uh, was running recreationally you know um when i was young in in my 20s and um then i ran my first 5k uh in 1989 when my daughter was uh 2 years old and um i enjoy running uh and uh it was great uh and then that progressed to um 10k runs uh which i enjoyed and then i felt like i could run more so i ran my first half marathon when my son was uh 6 months old and i ran a few more i think maybe a total of 8 and then i thought you know i can still run some more i'm not so tired i enjoy it 
Uh, so I ran uh, marathons and uh, I ran my first marathon in 1993. And I ran- That's four years. That's four years uh, since you started your yeah. running. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. and did, some, did somebody introduce you to running or were no. you already doing that? No, no one introduced me to running. I never ran when I was a student in middle school or in high school. I played other sports. I played field hockey, uh, basketball, and um, softball. But in college, I didn't play any sports. Um, but then, you know, there's always uh, something that happens in someone's life that might direct them to running. And for me, it was having my heart broken in college. And so uh, to help me with, with that, I would run around campus. And I found it very, very comforting and uh, very healing. So running became my medicine. And then I realized that I was pretty good at it. You know, I didn't get tired. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, you, you sweat your toxins out of your body, your endorphins kick in. Uh, and um, it was good. So then I just continued it. It became a habit, you know, like brushing your teeth, you know, and tying your shoes. And... Um, yeah, so then I continue, uh, and my husband, uh, then my my husband now, who was then my boyfriend, also in college, uh, we would run recreationally. Uh, we would also cycle, you know, go uh, cycling, um, and then it just something that we became part of my day, you know. Perfect. And part, yeah, part and you guys are, and you guys are college sweethearts. That's even that's yeah. So nice. Yes, we met. That's funny. We met in a college uh, history class. Yeah, nice. it was my senior year, his junior year, and uh, we just met and uh, we fell in love and we just celebrated 40 years of friendship in November. Wow. And yeah, we've been married 36 years. Yeah, so it, it, it's really wonderful. Well, congratulations. Uh, yeah. And he's yeah. been there for me at all my races, all my ultras. He's been on my pacer. When pacers are allowed, like at a 100 mile ultra, you can have a pacer at mile 50 mm -hmm. or so. Um, yeah, he feeds me, he drains my blisters, you know, he uh, makes me angry when he doesn't have what I want to eat right then and there, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but, but it's great. You know, it's really funny when I told him I was going to run, uh, my first 50 miler, um, I ran the JFK 50 and, uh, that was in November of 2005. So I told him around January of that year that I was going to train uh, for my first 50 miler. And he looked at me and he said, there's no way in hell you're going to finish it. And I was like, just because you say I can't watch me. And I did it. I did it. He was so excited for me. So were my kids at the finish. And that was such a great experience. And um, uh, that was I got hooked. I got hooked. Wow. I loved being outdoors. I loved being in the trails. I love uh, being with other ultra runners. We're very supportive of each other, you know, and um, it was my time too with God. It was my conversation with God. And where do I get my strength to run? It doesn't come from me. I'm not responsible for this. It is the strength that I get from God. Without God's strength, I would not be able to cross that finish line. So yeah, and it, it's it's a very very uh, spiritual experience, ultra running for me, very much so. So so your fifth your foot absolutely. I, I think we definitely want to uh, dig a little bit deeper in it a um, uh, little later in the conversation. But yeah. so your first fifty miler was 
in in 2005 but your first marathon was 1993 yes and which was your what what was your first marathon oh uh, that my first marathon was the atlantic city marathon okay. all right and it rained okay, okay. <laughs> And I was like one of the last people to to finish, you know, come through the finish line. Uh, but you know, when they say you will hit the wall at mile 20, I hit the wall at mile 19. And I remember saying, I stopped in my tracks and I'm like, what, why am I doing this? Why am I here? You know, it does happen. And then I just kept going, kept going. And uh, people on the course were really nice because uh, part of the course took place like uh, by the water where it's some restaurants. So waiters and waitresses would come out and feed us oranges, you know, that kind of thing. And when I finished, I was so happy and I ate like an entire pizza. I just could not stop eating. Um, it was a wonderful experience. And because it rained so much uh, and my shoes were, I learned later, were should have been another size bigger. Uh, my toes, my right toe got infected, you know, rain. And I had to go to the podiatrist and get medication. And my toes, they find the, my nails finally came off. Like, like three nails came off, but you know what? That entire time I'm like already plotting and scheming my next marathon. <laughs> that matter that I was in pain and in agony, you know, and out of my comfort zone. I did it. I finished it. Now let's see if I can do the next one. And that's what happened. The next one, the next one. Uh, the one thing I didn't like about marathon uh, marathons is that there's just way too many people. Mm-hmm. We're like sardines, you know. And I think marathoners are extremely competitive people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's always about their time and how fast they're going to get to the finish. And I'm like, people, relax. You know? <laughs> Just enjoy the ride, you know? And um, so I was always like a mid-pack runner, you know? Uh, Yeah, and but but I enjoyed it. And I always had my family with me, Mm. you know? My kids would join me, you know, on the side of cheer me on. And um, I ran two marathons uh, to raise money for Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. I ran uh, the Philadelphia Marathon in honor of... uh, uh, in memory of a wonderful friend uh, who was a police officer who lost his life to leukemia at age 45. Mm. It's just terrible. And um, married with uh, children. And then the following year, I ran another, uh, I ran the, right after 9-11, uh, <clears throat> I ran the Marine Corps Marathon uh, to raise money in honor of a young little boy named Joey, 12 years old, who um, had was a cancer, leukemia survivor. So, uh, that was a lot of fun. So, um, yeah. And then one day, you know, I decided that something else popped up <clears throat> in my marathon life and I needed a new challenge. And uh, I happened to be watching CBS, um, uh, 60 Minutes, CBS 60 okay. Minutes. And Leslie Stahl is interviewing Dean Carnassus right. and Pam Reed. Uh, and I had no idea who these two people were. And I'm like, ultra marathon, what is that? Mm-hmm. And so I just perked up and I listened intently and I was fascinated by their story, how they became ultra runners. Uh, they both uh, were book authors. They, you know, uh, uh, Dean had his book, Ultra Marathon Man. Pam had her book, The Extra Mile. 
And I was so fascinated by their training, what they ate, the miles that they put in. And I said, who, who does that? Who runs these miles? And uh, I got on my computer. I Googled ultra marathon. And the first thing that popped in my area was the JFK 50, okay. which is in Maryland, starts in Maryland, goes to the Appalachian Trail in Virginia, West Virginia, and then goes back to Maryland. Um, and uh, I signed up just then and there. Nice. You know, back in the day, you wrote out a check. Yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah. Checks and, yeah, you had checks and you had those very uh, huge, gross, uh, you know, funny looking tags that you would wear on your shoes. Right, exactly. Uh, right? Yeah, those were the yeah. days. <laughs> those, were the, those were the good old days, yeah. <laughs> and um, as soon as I finish uh, JFK, uh, we hop in the our, our minivan to get back to the hotel. I was already plotting and scheming my next one. So let's talk about the the first, uh, the JFK 50, right? Um, so you signed up in a Jiffy, it is an impulse, uh, you know, well, you, we can call it an impulse decision, but I think there was something, there was a calling already happening. Yeah. yeah. And so tell us about that. How was the experience running your first 50 miler? Uh, what all did you have to deal with? Well, it uh, they gave runners a choice to start at five o'clock or six o'clock uh, you got it. Uh, you got an extra. There was a 14-hour limit and a 12-hour limit. So I said, "Let's be sensible. It's my first ultra. Uh, I'm going to shoot for the 14-hour limit, time limit, and I'm going to give myself uh, 13 hours and 59 minutes to finish. That was my goal. Okay, I just want to finish. It was 23 degrees that morning uh, in the dark. It was November, the uh, the week before Thanksgiving." Mm-hmm. And, but I had my layers on. I had no idea what I was doing because I had never trained or run in a trail. And that year was a late fall. So the trail was full of inches of leaves, but underneath were rocks that you couldn't mm-hmm. see. Some people had poles, you know, uh, but then as soon as the sun rose, it was just a beautiful day. And I chatted with a couple other runners who were experienced. Uh, and I just kept going and I just kept following and I had no idea where I was, but I was focused, you know, I was focused. I fell uh, twice on a switch and I fell on a switch back, uh, which is fine. I just scraped my my uh, palms. I had gloves on, but I still scraped. And then right as I get to the towpath after 14 plus miles, um, I tripped on a tree root on the towpath and I went flying and landed hard. I see couple of feet looking at me and there were two other female runners and they're like, are you okay? I said, yeah, I just tripped and I got up and I just kept going. So for the next, I don't know, 19 miles or so, it's just a trail path and the last eight miles, it's rolling hills. Um, at mile 30, my family met me. They met me at 14 at mile 30 and they were like so happy and so impressed that mom was still running, you know? And uh, it was a beautiful sunny day, but it was cold, very cold. Um, and the last eight miles were rolling hills through residential farmland. And I walked the last two miles. I was exhausted. I was freezing. Um, but I'm, I, I was ahead of myself. And because I was ahead of my 1359 time, I just walked it because I said two miles. I know how long that's going to take me, you know, if I walk yeah. it. And I made it in 12 hours and 24 minutes and some change. Nice. So, you know, when I hear your uh, story, it's, you know, I... It resonates with me, uh, the, the fact that you have your family come and cheer you. I, I've always loved that. 
all my marathons, uh, my, kid, my, my girls were a little much smaller than my kids were much smaller. Yeah. So my wife and my kids would come and cheer at different points. And it used to be such a joy. Uh, it is, it is. Know. Yes, and even if they didn't want to be there, they pretended that they wanted to. <laughs> <Yeah>, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, like my son, Sebastian, uh, he, he's married, uh, he has a beautiful wife. They don't have children yet. They adopted a beautiful dog from Texas. They live in outside Boston. And um, he's a wonderful pacer. He's he's very calms me, you know, and he 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 reassures me and he gives me a lot of support. So he's 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 paced me quite a, a few uh, ultra marathons, a hundred milers at hundred milers at twenty four hours. He has paced me. Uh, my daughter is very good at changing my socks very quickly, you know, and feeding me and helping me change my clothes. Uh, she's she's very good. My husband is was wonderful at filming and making movies, you know, and he's really good at that. And uh, I'm a grandmother now. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Yeah, my, I have two grandchildren. My daughter has two children. My granddaughter, Jordan, is five. She'll be six in March. Uh, she loves to run. And she, she ran uh, three quarters of a mile when I ran 60 miles in my daughter's neighborhood. Uh, two years ago when I to celebrate my 60th birthday and to also uh, run healing miles for my husband's healing mm. who had been recently diagnosed with stage four uh, cancer um, and um, she just loves to run and during COVID we have not been able to see them except for once in November first Friday in November, and, you know, we all wore our masks, we socially distanced, physically distant, um, we went to a park, we did everything outside, outside the house, on um, the park, and while we're in the park, my granddaughter Jordan says, Mima, can you run five times with me? Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, of course I can, it was the loop, it was a 0.25 mile loop around the park, and we ran three and a half times, and then we walked uh, one and a half times. And uh, that's, that's she awesome. just, she's, she's just a natural. So uh, that's one of my motivations to keep running is to inspire my grandchildren. My, my grandchildren inspire me. And they're avid hikers. They, uh, they hike in Colorado quite a bit. His, their dad, uh, his family also has a home in Colorado. And they're always hiking. They live in Maryland and there are a lot of hiking trails where they live in Maryland and they're always out there hiking. I'm like, I'm so impressed by their hiking ability. It's just, and uh, my grandson Sawyer who just turned four last week is just amazing on that scooter. Mm -hmm. You know, that's like, I would kill myself on one of those things, but not these kids. So, you know, that's that's one of my, yeah, that's motivated. That's awesome because you know there are sometimes there are some myths about running. A lot of people think running is all this people on their own and solo, but you know uh, it's not really right. There's so much family involvement. It can become a family project. And you, you, what you're doing essentially is so nicely uh, shows that. And by the way, uh, congratulations on this uh, 60 on 60. That's uh, that's quite amazing. Uh, Running ultras at eight sixty is it's a it's very oh, inspiring. Yeah, this you should, yeah I, I recommend this race. It's a, a race for the ages, and okay. it's Tennessee uh, every Labor Day weekend, and uh, Laz, uh, Lazarus Lake, 
you know, who has the Barkley marathons and all these bizarre marathons. Um, he's created this race for geezers. So you have to be 40 years and older, you know, okay. and you run as many years as your age, oh. excuse me, as many hours as your age. So uh, the year I ran it, the oldest runner was 87. Wow. So he, he walked for 87 miles, uh, 87 hours, hours. And breaks in between and stuff like that. And so I, I was 60 at the time. So I got 60 hours and my goal was to run 120 hours, uh, 120 miles. Uh, but uh, I fell short by eight. I was able to do 112, uh, but it was super, super hot in Tennessee. It's in a parking lot, a concrete parking lot with no shade. So uh, yeah, it, but it was, it was a lot of fun. And as long as you get your hundred miles in, uh, you get your belt buckle. You know, so that was a lot of fun. And so, yeah, I, I re definitely recommend it. I told last I will come back when I'm 90. So stay tuned. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure you will. And yeah. you mentioned um, uh, your husband is dealing with stage four. How is he doing now? Oh, my husband is doing great. He was, okay, uh, let me preface by saying that uh, in May uh, 2020, uh, via a virtual appointment with his oncologist, he was declared in remission. So he, uh, there's no evidence of cancer in his body, uh, which is great. He uh, was diagnosed in March of 2018 with uh, stage four, a colorectal cancer uh, that metastasized to his right lung. Uh, but my husband never stopped uh, working. He endured aggressive radiation twice. He had chemo uh, every other Wednesday for over two years, except for when we went to a race or we went hiking in the national parks. Um, and he, he, he did great. Uh, he endured a lot of surgeries, a lot of cancer pain. Um, and he's always, he, my husband is physically active with me, but he doesn't run ultras, but he joins me and um, he joined me on his elliptical, you know, bike. Uh, in fact, he did 389 of my 901 miles at the tip to tip virtual uh, 901 miler on his elliptical bike. However, in October, October 28th to be precise, um, he was with me a uh, 10 mile run. And as we're headed home, we have like a quarter mile left to go. Uh, he wasn't feeling well. Uh, it took him uh, longer to get to our house with a quarter mile left. Uh, long story short, he, uh, after a series of visits with his oncologist and cardiologist, uh, my husband came home yesterday after getting um, triple bypass surgery on Monday. Hmm. Uh, so he had three clogged arteries, uh, but he's doing amazing. And his doctors and surgeons said that he was very healthy considering he has had cancer and all the rest of his arteries and his bodies are perfect. It was just these three. And so we learned uh, uh, his mom sadly passed away, may she rest in peace, when she was 61. My husband is 60 now. Her dad died when she was a young girl of a heart attack. She had a massive stroke and died. And his oldest brother, who's six years older, um, had a heart attack, uh, I guess, 10 years ago and has two stents in one uh, uh, artery. Uh, so in his case, 
he was physically fit, but heredity took over. Mm-hmm. And so if you feel any pressure on your chest or if you have, and he has a history of high cholesterol, um, please see the doctor. Yeah, it's right. very important. And um, he got the best care at University of Pennsylvania Hospital. So right. yeah, and he's, he's, he's doing fine. He came yesterday, he's walking, he's eating, and um, it'll be a while before he can join me on the elliptical again. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that. And so is he. Yeah. And I think he's going to start running uh, races. Yeah, mm, absolutely. That's yeah. great. That's great. Yeah, but he's doing great. Thank Sorry. you for asking. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. No, that's, that's that's good to hear. And um, I think through all this, uh, with your running and you being focused, uh, you know, uh, running allowing you to stay focused is probably allowing you to be the source of strength in in all of this. I oh, absolutely. Um, and that's why thank God for the gift of running. Thank God for the gift that God has given me uh, to run. Um, Because running uh, is respite for me. You know, Um, when my husband was diagnosed, uh, running had a different purpose. I was running for his healing. Okay. Um, And then when he was in remission, um, I was running for cancer caregivers. Okay. And then when he was diagnosed with, you know, uh, uh, blocked arteries, um, I was running for his healing. So I've always been there to run for him uh, and to run for others. And to me, um, it's, it's, I'm happy that I'm, uh, I'm able to offer up my suffering for someone else's healing. And so, and um I also run for my own health and my own healing. Uh, in 2012, I had a laparoscopic hysterectomy that was scheduled three days after I placed third female in my first 24-hour ultra. Wow. And um, um, fortunately, uh, the surgery uh, went a little haywire. I ended up being in the hospital, uh, collected 26 days. Uh, that surgery resulted in a small bowel obstruction. Also, my left ureter was transected. So my body was drowning in urine. Only because my immune system is so strong, it wasn't detected till after a month later when my body went into, um, uh, I had body chills and a high fever. And that's when it was discovered. Um, But the entire time, you know, through all my surgeries, I did not realize how serious, how sick I was. My husband never told me because I was so positive and I was joking with the doctors and talking about my ultra running. And, and I saw my medical nightmare. I, it was a ultra marathon of a different kind, you know, and um, I just visualized the finish crossing the, the finish at, the, uh, at an ultra. Uh, and that was how I was going to heal. Uh, uh, and the doctors, the surgeons, the urologists, they were just stunned that I was not critically ill or worse. You know, um, they, they were just stunned. Like the urologist who came as a consult to the operating room when my husband took me in with my high fever and they took me back to the operating room. <laughs> he later told my husband and, and, and me that he thought I had the hysterectomy the day before. And it was now Labor Day. 
And he was told, no, she had it August 1st. And he said, this woman should not be alive. <laughs> but, you know, I had such a strong immune system. So my faith and prayers and the love of family and friends healed me. But ultra running, all my years of ultra running saved my life. And that's the truth. I was in really good physical shape. Uh, and guess what? I started to train for my next ultra. <laughs> and I, and this, was, I, this was what? Which year was this again? Uh, 2012. 2012. Right. 2012. And I was on uh, medical leave for, for six months. And I started, so that was August 2012. Around January, February, I started again to walk. You know, I was walking around the neighborhood with my baggy sweatpants and my nephrostomy tube inserted just to prepare me spiritually, mentally, emotionally for the surgery. You know, and just to to pray for the surgeon that would repair me, you know, and for all those that would care for me during this next uh, journey, this next challenge. But around February of 2013, I started training again, just by walking, then moving faster and a little bit faster. And I signed up for the Dirty German 50-miler trail ultra, which is outside Philadelphia in Pennypack Park. Uh, it was a beautiful day. So I was, you're a, so you're a, you're a pretty, you're a strong, you're a strong human being. I'm made of steel, Sandra. You're made of steel. You're made of steel. Superwoman. Yeah. <laughs> I did the because my mom is 95 and my dad's going to be 90. And, awesome, uh, awesome, awesome. Yeah, so. And I think, you know, what's important also is uh, your will in the matter, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, there is a, the power comes from your own will to be yeah. not be yeah. defeated by some of these difficult situations. Yeah. Yeah. I guess ultra te teaches you that. Well, ultra teaches you that when you become an ultra runner, um, you learn patience. And I think that's why I did enjoy marathons because people are rushing to get to the finish. You know, mm. they, they, they lack patience. Okay. Uh, endurance, you know, life is about endurance. You know, one of my favorite scripture passages uh, from the Bible, the New Testament is from Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, uh, the letter of Hebrews uh, 12, one, run with endurance is what God has placed before you, you know? Um, and another one of my favorite uh a scripture passage this is from the Old Testament, from the second book of Samuel, chapter 18, verse 23. Come what may, I want to run. And that describes my life. In fact, that's the title of a memoir manuscript that I have finished. Um, but yeah, so endurance, uh, patience, uh, persistence, you know, persistence is, is really key. Um, and you have to be willing to endure some degree of suffering and discomfort. Yeah, okay? yeah. Um, and so I think because I already had uh, this in my DNA, you know, endurance and persistence and patience, uh, it makes me a good ultra runner, I think. Yeah. And then my years of ultra running prepare my body physically uh, to endure, you know, yeah and to meet any challenge that life throws my way, you know, any curveball that life throws my way, um, bring it on, 
let's work on this together. Yeah, yeah. And so, in, so in your running journey, uh, you said you started uh, uh, signed up for a fifty miler. So, when was your first one hundred miler in 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 this? Yeah, my first one hundred miler was in April of twenty eleven. Okay, and this is before the fifty. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This was time. before March twenty twelve. In fact, that was the Philadelphia one hundred. Uh, and I was so excited because it was free. Okay. It, yeah, it, it was the Philadelphia 100. They call it a fat ass. They have a few of these where they're, they're it's self-supporting and it's free. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was on a certified course and um, uh, there's no official clock. It's the honor system. Okay. Yeah. And I thought, wow, it's only over the bridge. And um, it was... Uh, eight loops, uh, uh, 12 point, uh, 12 loops on an eight mile, 12 times around an eight mile loop, 8.4 mile loop. And, um, I loved the experience. It was wonderful, but I have to tell you that around mile 96, I just broke down. Mm. My husband is with me by now. I'm just walking and I'm just walking. It's a beautiful day. The birds are singing. It's in the morning. And um, I had this moment of almost disbelief that I was only four miles away from the finish. And I started crying. And my husband says, why are you crying? And I'm like, I don't know. And then things run through your mind. Um, uh, What happens? I I asked him, what happens if you die first? Or what happens if I die first? What happens if I die and I never see my future grandchildren? And my husband's like, just keep walking. <laughs> and just keep walking. Yeah. And then I was listening. I put my iPod on, iPod to, to listen to music and uh, Rascal Flats, uh, I Will Stand By You. That one song, it's a really beautiful song. Start, place. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like crying because it's such a beautiful song. But um it was just that moment. And I think that was, uh, that moment was my really strong communion with God at that moment. It's just a beautiful moment. It's that these were not tears of pain and suffering, but they were tears of joy yeah. and sort of disbelief that I was going to, plus your body is tired. You lose, you lose cognitive functioning in these hundred milers. Um, <clears throat> you slur your speech. Mm. you cry, you can't tell time on your watch. You think that you're never going to finish it, but you are because you can't tell time. And I have hallucinated. Um, but um, yeah, so I got to the finish, uh, dancing my way to the finish. Uh, and the song that came on was um, a Public Enemy a hit song. Oh, I can't remember the, the, uh, the title of the song, but it, it, it gets you dancing and moving. And it was such a beautiful experience. I was high, literally high for two weeks. Awesome. It was and then I, I immediately looked for the next one and I ran the Beast of Burden that August 2011. And I that was my fastest uh, 100 miler. I did it in 27 hours and 10 minutes and 13 seconds. Awesome. So awesome. in terms of training for these, you know, your, your scaling from you know, a 50K, 50 miler, and then your first 100. How much of uh, volume you had to increase in, in your training? Was that a oh, good jump in your volumes? That's a good question. Um, 
I basically, I, I did the same kind of milestone the week. You know, at the time I was uh, teaching full time, picking up my kids at school. So I would run in the evenings. Uh, but my long my, uh, runs were on weekends. So I remember for my first 50 miler, I did a couple of 20 miles on a Saturday. And I remember I did one 30 mile run, you know. Um, and so I did a couple of 20 miles. And then um, for a hundred mile, I would add, maybe I do a couple of 24 hour runs or 26 okay. hour runs. Yeah. So I just increased it a little. Uh, and the thing is I'm sensible. I don't want to overtrain and I don't want to cause injury to myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, uh, what my abilities are, you know, uh, and I'm just happy to be able to run and I look forward to the finish. In fact, when I placed third, in my first 24 hour run in 2012, that came as such a surprise to me uh, because I didn't go in that way. I just wanted to finish my first 24 hour run, you know, mm -hmm. it was after I'd done two 100s. Um, but apparently I had a good day and I think I was, at, I was starting to become faster at that point in my running life. And I was, uh, I was, you know, a better runner. I was no longer mid-pack runner. And then I had my medical nightmare and then everything was over, you know? And so then I had to like slow down and uh, I was no longer as fast as I used to be. But the good news is that the older you get, the better your chances are placing in your age group. That's true. Yeah. So, so I was playing, I was, you know, placing left and right in all kinds of races. It was yeah. fun. You know, yeah. you, you make a very interesting, interesting, uh, you know, point there because, uh, it's all about reframing, isn't it? And you know, and what you share is so beautiful. Uh, in spite of those setbacks you had in in terms of health, you reframed, and hey, you know, it's not going to stop you from living life uh, fully. You're going to go ahead and do what you want to do, and but you exactly. reframe it and you go forward. Exactly. I'll tell yeah. you, you just reminded me of a, another health issue that I had uh, in 2008. I had two DNFs did not finish. It was uh, uh, the Laurel Highlands 70 miler. And then after that, a couple of months later, I went for the gear, a greater Eastern endurance 100K, which is a mountain ultra in George Washington uh, Forest uh, Park in Virginia. And um, I missed the first cutoff at mile 19.3 at the Laurel Highlands by about 10 minutes. But I noticed that I was having difficulty catching my breath and that's not like me at all. Plus it was also a brutal, brutal course of, you know, climbing boulders and it was, uh, uh, elevation was high. Um, and that was my first DNF. It was very humbling, very humbling experience, you know? Uh, but I was glad that I didn't, uh, I, I was glad I missed the cutoff because it poured for the next 100 hours all night, you know? So I didn't get soaking the rain. Uh, and then I went back out, I think it was uh, a couple months later in September, because yeah, Laurel Highlands was in June, September was the gear, 100K. And um, it was a tough, tough mountain race, ultra. Um, and John joined me from mile 40 on, uh, but I was having difficulty catching my breath, which was unlike me. And, um, I, I dropped, I, I dropped at mile uh, 
it was 60 at mile 56 something I dropped. Um, and then I started to have twitching. My fingers were locking in the hotel room. I didn't understand what was going on. And this uh, persisted, continued uh, for several months. Long story short, I was finally, about a year and a half later, I was finally properly diagnosed at Johns Hopkins with a severe B12 deficiency. Mm-hmm. As um, myelopathy of the spinal cord as a result of severe B12 deficiency my body does not produce enough natural B12 to create myelin sheath around my spinal cord. So I was having twitches, spasms, fingers locking, toes curling, numbness, tingling, and I could not work normally for almost a year and a half. Um, It was just terrible. So that year, 2009, I did not run uh, because I was diagnosed finally in September of 2009. Um, but guess what? I started to train. All, so I'm on B12 shots for life. I get a B12 shot every single week. And, I've, and I was diagnosed 11 years ago. Um, and I've, re- I've, I've written a couple of articles about B12 deficiency. And it is amazing how many people from all over the world have contacted me to tell me their stories. And if they have B12, and almost every email ends thank you for giving me hope. So if we can, you know, give people hope uh, through my health issues, that is okay with me, you know. Uh, But I signed up for the North Face uh, 50 mile endurance run, the Washington DC one, but it actually takes place in Virginia. Um, And uh, I wasn't going to make the cutoff. It was 13 hour uh, limit. And I had like 20 minutes and four miles to go. And I knew I wasn't gonna make it. And so at that point, they, the volunteers or race director will take your bib and say, you, can, uh, you gotta turn in your bib. And I said, no, I'm not turning in my bib because number one, I paid for it. And number two, I'm on a healing journey. I'm on a personal journey. And I told the guy, what I had been through with B12 deficiency. And he said, okay, you can keep it, but you're running as a public person in the park. I said, oh, that's okay. I just want my bib. And I'm so glad that I know that I can still do 50 miles, even if I have to do it over 13 hours. And so I waltz in, there were a couple other people behind me that waltz in later. And I think it might, my watch said 1425. And it was the best feeling ever. And what was even more beautiful was that a young volunteer came over to me and put this massive medal around my neck. I said, I get a medal. And they said, sure, you get a medal. Everybody that came behind. So um, yeah, so that was my return to ultra running after. So question, so question on on the, you talked about the B12. Is that, is that a um, a hereditary or a natural uh, deficiency? Yeah, no, it it occurred. It's no one in my family has B12 deficiency. Um, I'm not a vegetarian. You know, they say that people who are vegetarians uh, will tend to be deficient in B12. And so they can just take a supplement, a tablet, and they're perfectly fine. In my case, um, it was neurological. I mean, I was not able to walk. It was terrible. The summer of 2009, I spent in bed a lot, but I would go out every day and just drag my legs 
for three or five miles, even if it took me three hours. I just needed to get out. Um, and I'm not sure why I have that. It could be an autoimmune thing that I have, but uh, I, I, had, I was tested for ALS three times. Thank God it's not that. I was tested for MS twice. It wasn't that. I had um, a spinal tap that revealed uh, abnormally high uh, protein levels in my spinal fluid. Uh, unfortunately, the neurologist that I saw at home uh, could not help me. Uh, it was terrible. And uh, I finally did some research um, at Johns Hopkins. I was told that I had chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy. And that means I have too much protein in my body and they were going to uh, run a plasmapheresis procedure where they, you know, take it out. And then they said, no, you don't have that. We're not sure what you have. You seem to be exhibiting the same symptoms as people who work at a meat packing place in Ann Arbor, Michigan. They work with pig brains uh, and they have been diagnosed with chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy. Um, uh, so the neurologist said, uh, I think you should stop eating pork. And that's when I knew I had to go someplace else because number one, she never asked me if I eat pork. Okay. And she just assumed, and yes, I eat pork. Uh, I've never been a problem, but I eat it, you know, once a month or something, twice a month. Uh, and that's when I went to Johns Hopkins and I researched an expert in chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy. And that's Dr. David Cornblath at, uh, at Hopkins and I got an appointment like five weeks later and boom, he diagnosed me right then and there. He gave me one more test uh, to make sure that I don't have uh, ALS. And I do have intrinsic factors. So it was nothing, I don't have uh, pernicious anemia. Um, and so, yeah, every week I give myself a shot and I also take uh, sublingual B12, uh, 1000 MCGs. Uh, I have my moments. I still get cramping. I still get terrible cramps. I had a terrible cramp this morning in bed when I stretched uh, uh, um, my right calf. Uh, but I don't let it stop. My right toe has permanent uh, nerve damage. Okay. Uh, my feet uh, will get tingling. And I'm watching TV. They curl up. It's very painful. My fingers will curl up. My husband will, you know, uncurl them. Um, but I go on. You just keep moving. And you yeah, know, it's a great, yeah, and it's a great spitter. Yeah, and movement is so important to health. You know, you cannot, you can have a health crisis, but if you keep moving, it's going to help you heal. Yeah, yeah. That's no, that's 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 so wonderful. I think you're such a so much spirit in your in in your in the way you lead your life. There was a quote I recently uh, read somewhere. You know that um, this was in the context of the pandemic and how yeah. way it's impacting people. Uh, there are some people who are getting very negatively affected by it. And, you know, uh, uh, we completely understand and empathize with that. And there are some people who are reframing and uh, reinventing themselves and thriving. And you definitely fall in that category. And so there was this nice quote that I read, which is, you know, you can, when the, you know, in a boiling water, if you put potato, it cooks. But if you put a coffee seed, it spreads flavor. And I said, wow, that's a nice quote mm -hmm. that just catches mm -hmm. the essence of how different people respond to difficult situations. And you definitely are like a coffee bean, you know, because nothing is stopping you. And you're also, in addition, spreading hope, spreading inspiration. I hope uh, 
to 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 other people you know you're not getting stopped by oh my god i am so sick and i am going to mope in a corner because life is not being fair to me but hey you are like it's okay i'm going to get up and run again and i'm going to keep moving and i'm going to also help other people who have similar problems to lead a better life and deal with some of the situation so it's like the coffee bean example here oh, so thank uh, you for that yeah you summed that up pretty nicely i appreciate that thank you yeah Yeah. and um uh you also are raising funds for uh you know stuff to support cure of cancer and i I'll, i'll definitely share that link in the well, yeah, it's uh, it, it's not for cure of cancer uh, uh i do uh, i wanted to focus on cancer caregivers okay. and so these are uh people uh because my experience as a cancer caregiver uh uh inspired me to start this uh when i became a cancer caregiver i found that there w- weren't a lot of support groups for cancer caregivers i finally found uh, a really good support group called well spouse associates so what is a cancer caregiver can you talk so, a little uh, us about uh, it anyone who cares for a loved one who is enduring cancer okay so yeah so i i care for them so i my husband's cancer caregiver Okay. Um uh all those individuals that uh bring their loved ones to get chemo. They're cancer mm-hmm. caregivers. Um uh, when my husband was very sick, uh, I had to care for everything, um you know, make all the doctor's appointments, get all the test results, speak to all the doctors, make sure that we have the right insurance, you know, um you know, drive him here, drive him there, uh pay all the bills. Uh it's very overwhelming to be a cancer caregiver um it's uh can also be very isolating because when the word cancer appears uh many people uh sort of turn away it scares them so your friends aren't always there for you um uh, and even some family members sort of you know uh decide that they're going to step back a little bit so uh even though i have two children they couldn't always be there to help me out because they have their own lives they have their own families they're living states away uh which is fine um and um it's very depressing to go to um a cancer treatment center because there are so many people that are suffering with cancer all ages all gender all races children elderly people young people um and it's really overwhelming um and so i decided that based on my experience that i want cancer i don't want cancer caregivers to be forgotten mm-hmm. and so i created ultra care for cancer caregivers uh and um last year this december last year my husband was still uh, getting chemo and uh to help me um as part of my respite oh, while taking care of him and you always worry about the future what mm-hmm. what is the future going to hold for my husband what is the future going to hold for us uh when my husband was in a lot of he was in a lot of cancer pain he lost 40 pounds mm-hmm. we could not eat our meals together you know um it was very uh there were many days that i cried okay but i have to be strong and i never stopped running you know going out for runs and my husband was so wonderful he we still went hiking to national parks he joined me in four ultra marathons in 2000 from 2018 to 2020 uh he was still there for me 
Um, and so I decided, you know, uh, last year I knit a lot of scarves. I knit uh, nine scarves and, uh, or seven scarves, I forget how many. And I knitted them for cancer caregivers and I knit yeah. two for my grandchildren. And so one day in December, you know, during the holiday spirit, uh, I knocked on people's doors who were getting uh, chemo while my husband was getting his. I introduced myself, who I was. I'm a cancer caregiver like you. Um, more. You know, there's a lot of um, reasons why. I, am, uh, I kind of lost you a little bit there. So uh, you may have to just say that again. Can you hear me again? Yeah. So yeah, I can uh, hear you now. I think where I lost you a little bit was so you 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 were going uh, you created these scarves and you were going to individuals' homes and uh, that's where I lost you. Oh yeah, I, I created yeah. So I knit scarves and I visited uh, cancer caregivers at the hospital and the treatment center while they were with their loved ones getting chemo. I knocked on their doors, introduced myself as another cancer caregiver. Um, and just chatted with them and their family members who, are, who are, have uh, cancer. And I said, here's a cancer, uh, here's, a, here's a, a scarf that I knit for you, pick one, whichever one you want. So they all picked the colors that they wanted. And, uh, and then I thought when my husband was in remission, I thought, okay, now I wanna do more for cancer caregivers. I want, them, I want to bring them a little joy. I want to bring them some respite. Uh, so I want them to go out and do something for themselves. Like, you know, maybe, uh, they want to go indoor rock climbing, which I love, you know, maybe if they're women around, they want to get their nails done. Maybe they want to get a massage, you know, maybe they, they want whatever it is. So I created it, uh, ultra care for cancer caregivers, a GoFundMe campaign to benefit caregivers. And I started it, the, I launched it on Mother's Day weekend of 2020, uh, when I ran the virtual 50K solo challenge. And that was the alternative uh, 24 hour race when the dawn to dusk to dawn uh, track ultras were canceled because of COVID. Uh, and then, uh, you know, people were donating and I have, I think now, I think 70, seven or about 75 or uh, donors who have donated and nine uh, cancer caregivers have been recipient of nice. the fund. So they get a monetary gift Very and nice. they're so grateful and so helpful. And eventually what I want to do is I want to make it ultra care for caregivers because now I'm also taking care of my husband who has heart disease, mm -hmm. you know, and um, eventually I like to make it a, a nonprofit organization. Awesome. Uh, there's not a lot that there's a lot of money given to cancer research, but mm. there are millions and millions of cancer caregivers in this country. And I want to take care of them so that we can take care of our loved ones who are suffering with yeah. cancer. No, that's, that's very, very noble. I think very practical as well, right? Uh, one is the noble aspect, but also something real, something practical, uh, which gets missed out a lot of money is spent, uh, is, is donated on charity to cancer research, as you said. But uh, so I'll definitely share uh, the link oh, thank you. to this uh, on the show notes. So folks who are listening to this or who are interested can mm -hmm. uh, contribute to this. So, you know, we are kind of coming to end of our conversation. Um, it was a uh, wonderful 
speaking with you. You're you're such a spirited human being, and um, you need all the power and the energy to continue doing what you're doing. So that's what we will wish for, and we'll continue to follow your journey. And um, uh, yeah, so is there anything you want to say before we wrap up? Um, no, I, I, you know, anything else I want to say, you know, to keep you motivated, if you're out there and you're running, you know, and you want to start running, um, you know, to keep you motivated, please listen to lots of podcasts, listen to this podcast, listen to this uh, YouTube channel. Uh, those are all very inspiring. Um, watch a lot of documentaries. I watch a lot of running documentaries. I like to watch them right before I have a race when I'm, you know, tapering. Um, you know, do strength training. Uh, if the weather is bad out, you know, get on a treadmill. Unfortunately, because of COVID, I uh, can't go on a treadmill in, at the gym. Uh, read a lot of books. There are a lot of books to read about running. Uh, I've read many books. I also write book reviews of running books for my website, which I really enjoy. Um, and, um, you know, have something that motivates you. For me, uh, another motivating is uh, running uh, so that my grandchildren will also be runners, that kind of thing. And to stay physically fit, you know, um, I'll leave you with three tips. Uh, uh, number one, uh, you know, there are 10,080 minutes in a week. Okay. You cannot tell me that you cannot spare 60 minutes to stay physically fit. So find time you know, a couple of hours a week, uh, 30 minutes every other day, 20 minutes every other day to walk, to run, to hike, you know, to just keep moving. Uh, have a goal, okay? Uh, whether it's running a 5K, uh, please don't start running a 100 mile if you've never run at all, okay? You don't want to do that. Uh, but have a goal and eat well, okay? Uh, eating well is good. Um, you know, I don't smoke, I don't drink, uh, but we eat healthy. Uh, we grow our own vegetables and we cook at home and we uh, avoid junk food. But I have to confess, you know, if I need that pizza from my favorite place, I'll, I'll order it. So, uh, yeah, that's it. And uh, staying physically fit, whatever sport you decide to take on, uh, will save your life. Absolutely. It's fine. Thank you. That yeah. was a wonderful, wonderful tips. Miriam, thanks a lot for uh, joining us today. Have a wonderful day, rest of the week, and uh, we'll be in touch. Oh, thank you so much, Sanchez. You have a great day, and thank you for all you do. Your your work is amazing, and I'm really glad that you connected with me and we connected thank with you. you. All right. Absolutely. Bye bye. Okay.